Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Gabriella here. I wanted to just briefly explain before I posted this episode why it's going out on a Thursday. Well, I have been on vacation now from graduate school for two weeks, and days are just flying by. I can barely keep track of the days. So this episode was supposed to come out yesterday, but I'm not even going to lie to you. I kind of forgot yesterday was Wednesday. But I wanted to put out this episode as soon as possible rather than waiting until next week because it really is kind of like a 2023 recap. And um, I interview one of my dear friends, Greta. Uh, She's also my housemate. And um, yeah, I wanted to share this episode with you before the new year because we talk about um, moments from 2023, uh, but then also like what 2024 is going to hold for us because both of us are kind of entering a new phase of school where we don't have classes and we're working on our theses. So yeah, um, I hope everyone's doing amazing and had a happy holidays, um, whatever you celebrate or if you don't celebrate, um, you're just enjoying the winter months. Anyway, uh, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of That Anthro Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, my friend, classmate, and my housemate, Greta. So welcome, and can you briefly introduce yourself to the listeners? So hello, everyone. As Gabby said, my name is Greta Kuna, and I am in my second year of my master's degree in anthropology at George Mason University. And I'm studying um, bioarchaeology, specializing in demography and age estimation methods with Dr. Hagen Klaus. I am originally from Budapest, Hungary, and I have been studying in the U.S. for over five years now. Awesome. So um, I know that you are traveling home soon for the Mm -hmm. holidays. Less than a week. I'm going home in three days. So I guess I should just like preface this to the listeners by saying like we're done with our semester now we're on winter break we've been enjoying some off time last night we had a white elephant party for our cohort um and yeah so in like less than a week you're traveling home for the holidays what are you most looking forward to yeah I know it's crazy you only have a semester left (laughs) I haven't seen my family in like since June so of course I'm really excited to see my family and my friends but I am also most excited about our Christmas food because um, as some of you guys are also grad students, you know what you don't eat as well as home. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I'm really excited for home cooked food and especially holiday food. It's it's another level. So yeah. and the Christmas markets are, yes. are really nice and big back home. So definitely going to go and have some some treats for myself there. Fun. It's exciting. Um, so you moved from Hungary to the United States in 2018, Mm -hmm. um, to attend the University of Idaho. So how did you make the decision to A, even go to (laughs) university in the United States, but specifically how did you pick the University of Idaho? 
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's been a complicated process. I always knew I wanted to study abroad because I, I just didn't really like the education system. And also it, it's like the perfect way to like get out from your country and like start experiencing new cultures and just, it's the easiest way to move. Yeah. Um, and originally I wanted to go to England, but I didn't know that. Yeah, um, but you know, like Brexit was around that time, and mm. they did not really offer any like helps or scholarships, so they're not really helpful for people who don't have the financial background for that. Yeah, and um, so I've been doing uh, track. I've been a triple jumper since. Well, specifically, I did track since 2011, but I became a triple jumper in like 2016, 2017. And a lot of people have been contacted via like sports agencies back home, other universities in the US and like connect with coaches and also like help you with the whole process because it's really complicated to yeah. um, everything that the US needs and just the schools because it's a different system. Well, and like recruiting for NCAA is like challenging enough, not when you're not an <laughs> yeah. international student. Yes, exactly. So we had to like get a start like a year before. And first I was like, okay, like this might be good. I wasn't excelling at it. I was just mediocre, but we still like decided, I was like, okay, why not? Like they do give some scholarships and this is a great opportunity. And back then I didn't know what I wanted to study. I was not interested in anything really. I just know I wanted to continue doing track. And then also in the UK or in England, that wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Like in Europe, it's really hard to do sports mm-hmm. because education takes over mm-hmm. and we also do like clubs which is separated from the university so it's a little different and it's way harder so I was like oh the U.S. is the perfect for the sports yeah. because you know everyone goes crazy and I was like oh my god this is going to be perfect so we started like with D1 first I was like oh there's no way I'm gonna get into D1 uh, talked to like some coaches and then in February I um, jumped my PR and mm-hmm. one of the coaches from Idaho he reached out to me again because first he was like rejected me but then he was like oh I saw you improved a lot yeah. so here's my offer and I had some other universities and with my parents together we put down and I got like a nice scholarship there so I had to do all the other exams I had to do like a TOEFL which is a language proficiency exam and I also had to do SAT which I oh, oh. <laughs> yeah they on top of my own high school stuff so yeah I remember those days yeah I was a busy high school senior by then but by May I signed a contract so all the other high school stuff for home I was like I don't really care I still like applied just in case something happens but and then that's how I ended up in Idaho and I was an environmental science major originally really that's crazy (laughs) I did okay I didn't know that (laughs) that's interesting so yeah, you get to the University of Idaho, and I didn't put this in the outline, but I do want to talk about it. When did you meet Henny? Which, I'll, let me preface to the listeners, Henny is um, a graduate student in our cohort who also went to the University of Idaho doing track and then ended up as an anthropology graduate student at George Mason. So how did you meet Henny? So when I accepted, the other coaches, she started to like reach out. I was like, okay, what are your sizes? Getting all the gears yeah. and then we settling in because we were like really late um, uh, signers because mm. usually people are like, some of them signed in like September, but yeah. we signed in like May and April. So um, we had to do all the applications for the dorms as well mm. because you're required to be in a dorm for the first year. 
and she grouped me up with Henny. She was like, oh, this is another international person. Mm. She's from Germany. So I reached out to her on Instagram. We like chatting a little bit, but you know, it's like, what can you talk about? Yeah. Stranger. Yeah. So then we first met when, um, so my dad came with me to the U.S. because I never flew before. Oh. <laughs> well, you've never been on a plane? No, my first time oh was flying to um, the U.S. Wow. Yeah, it was very exciting. Thank God everything was fine. And I, yeah. I'm not scared of planes, but I'm glad that my dad came with me because I would have been lost at the security and everything. I was yeah, like, and customs. And yeah. just like, Cotton, yes, and all the visa. There's border control. <laughs> I was just talking to someone about this. I can't remember who it was. But I swear, like, going into any other country is, like, a really chill experience in customs. Coming into the U.S., they literally, like, interrogate you like you're a criminal. Even as a U.S. citizen, I come through <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a citizen. Like, what? Yeah, and then, like, you have to pick up your bag yeah. and then, like, rush through it. Which, mm. if you have a lot of time or that's, like, your end destination, yeah. it's less stressful. But when I was flying to the West Coast, I had to take three planes and I had a connection and I was, like, freaking out so but thank god first time I had my dad then yeah. he drove me to um Idaho because we just hang around in uh, Seattle a little bit oh, okay first city of U.S. for me yeah it was really cool but then like we picked up Honey because she arrived there earlier and she was alone hmm. so we took out her for lunch or dinner to like you know get to know her and then yeah. we helped her move out because she did an early move in oh, okay so we got became roommates and crazy. <laughs> rest is history. I know. And here we are. Yeah, five 2023. Years. She was over at our house last night, you know. Yeah. Craziness. So then we lived together until for four years. We were roommates. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize it was for all four years. Yeah. Wow. So we were like roommates for freshman year. And then we decided to like, okay, well, the others moved in separately. And we cared more about like being cost efficient because yeah you know, don't want to spend too much yeah. on apartments. So then we moved in together for our sophomore year and for our junior and senior year, we lived with two of our uh, classmates and teammates. Nice. Um, so at the University of Idaho, you originally ha- uh, were an environmental science major. Um, how did you come across anthropology? Was it a class? Was it a professor? Or had you heard of it before? Kind of like, what was your intro to anthropology? Yeah, it's also, it's so random how I came by it. So Henny was an anthropology major. And first she talked to me about it. And she was talking about, one day I was so confused because she kept collecting her garbage. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, it's it's for my class assignment. I'm like, what class makes you collect your own garbage? <laughs> and it was for intro to anthropology, which one of the ways were showing how um, you had to collect garbage for like one or two days. Mm. Oh, that was like also clean and which ones you have to throw out, like no like actual yeah. organic, like you didn't just leave the meat in there or something yeah. like that. And then you brought it in class and then you got someone else's and then you have to like, kind of create like who do you think they are that's such a fun assignment yeah so it's kind of like how like um in modern day too like you go on and you find like you know like you think it's a garbage dump or like something from like historical archaeology and you like put it together yeah and it was kind of like that and first I was so confused and I was like okay fine and I didn't think much of it but then I realized how much I did not enjoy my environmental Mm. science I thought it's going to be more about like climate change and kind of like prevention stuff but because I was in Idaho 
in the middle of nowhere it was way more about like wildlife uh mm. forest fire especially oh, like fishing and all those stuff too yes. like water which I understand it's like really important there but I was like I that's so not my yeah area especially as a city girl I love nature yes. but I don't yeah we should preface by saying that like going from a very big city like Budapest to Moscow Idaho which like if people aren't familiar with Idaho I kind of grew up like driving through that area on my way to Wyoming like it's not even as like Boise's not big but like this is so much smaller like we're talking about a very 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 small yeah it was like 25,000 and half of it was college students yeah and even Boise was like six hours away from. Yeah. So it's like North. <laughs> yeah. I just give Boise as the like landmark. Yes. Like a lot of people like know yeah. that. And that's, it's not like that. I mean, it's quote like big, it's the capital, but yes, it is the capital. It right? is the capital. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that would be embarrassing <laughs> if I was wrong. Um, yes. So definitely like a big transition. And then also like weather wise, like, oh yeah, big transition. It was, I love the snow, but I was not prepared how. Yeah cold it's going to be with the snow and the wind like it was yeah. arctic wind because there was nothing to like block the wind yeah so yeah walking there to the snow because you know I didn't have car for four years yeah. at least it was a walkable city but also training outside and jumping outside in the cold yeah definitely made me stronger yeah. but I still enjoyed the snow <laughs> yeah um well I derailed you from your story but you oh, were yes. talking about Basically, the last thing you said was that you weren't really vibing with environmental yeah, science. Yeah, so my, after my first year, I was, like, super lost. Like, what am I going to do? Even in high school, I only knew I was like, oh, I liked history. Yeah. And, like, that's it. And I was like, I don't want to be historian or yeah. a history teacher. And then my mom's friend, she is a professor at one of the universities back home. Hmm. She created this um, kind of, like, questionnaire, but it's super personalized that hmm. helps you find your... Um, job or interest but it's based mm-hmm. on like personalities but not those like 16 personalities it's like a little different and there was like for example some of the questions were like how much do you want to like work with people and there was like five like choices like really or not at all mm-hmm. and then once I filled it out I also want to talk to her she asked about my actual interest so I kind of seen person and I got like my three personality type and also five things that could fit with me five um career options that could fit with my personalities and one of them was I don't remember if it was anthropology or archaeologist mm. I also had um geneticist wow <laughs> we'll get to that yeah. but that's funny <laughs> and I have like meteorologist and like another doctor okay so first I was like oh my god and then it clicked I was like oh anthropology can I remember so I was like talking to Henny a little bit yeah and then I was also researching and um the person who I did the quiz which she was also really helpful sending me all these resources and I became more like familiar and like slowly I realized that all these little things I liked it was actually connected like I always loved, loved ruins like Rome yeah all those like old architecture and like I was fascinated by it I was like oh wait a minute now yeah. I can actually put a name to that field mm-hmm. that I like and then when I actually decided, I was in Denmark with my friend um, and we went to a Viking cemetery, which was like, it was kind of unexcavated. It was left like that. They probably mm. did some because they still like was able to describe what the graves are. Mm. But um, so Viking cemeteries are just marked with rocks and there's like mm. different shapes. I think depends on your, um, like if you're like male, female for like mm. the Vikings. 
And there's also like warrior graves. So they found like a lot of other stuff there too, but it was so cool. And in that moment I was like, wait, <laughs> I could work in these kind of sites. Yeah. So then I, I decided to change and immediately my first class introduction to anthropology, like just all of the other four fields. I was like, this is so much better. And then once we got into biological anthropology, I was like even more connected with that. I like mm-hmm. the other stuff, but I was like, eh. yeah, it's like your calling. Yes. That. Yeah. And then I took Dr. K's class. <laughs> yes. So listeners may be like putting two and two together, but um, one of your professors at University of Idaho was Dr. Colpan and um, you helped me connect with her. So if people haven't heard, she was a guest two episodes ago. Um, and yeah, you helped connect me with her to have her come on the podcast because mm-hmm. she's a bioarchaeologist and a forensic anthropologist and does a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, how, like, what was your first class with her? Um, I think it was biological anthropology. Oh, okay. Um, and she immediately struck me. She was so interesting. Like, yeah, she introduced herself. And when she started to talk about like her past research experiences and where she worked and she also like, cause she worked in Bosnia, she knows mm. about like Hungary and stuff. Yeah. So we were immediately connected with like, oh, she's familiar with Europe and she also familiar with like European culture, like that, especially that side of Europe, like our yeah. jokes. So I got to like, you know, even yeah. connect a lot better with her. And I liked her teaching style generally, but she was also really helpful. And especially during um, the pandemic, I also like talked to her, like we Zoomed a lot. Um, I was supposed to go to like one of her field schools oh. the bulgaria was supposed to happen in 2020 oh, um so cool. i know but of course it didn't happen because things happened but yeah. i'm glad she finally got to do it three years later but yeah she got to do it so that's i'm really happy for that but then i also had her i think it was kind of like military archaeology but it was also like just battlefield and kind of like war mm. um which that's when i first started to realize that i like studying human remains as well because I was even like more specialized in that yeah and I learned a lot from that and she again brought it in her own past experience from like Germany Vietnam all these other stuff and I was like wow yeah so I could do something like that so I kept doing classes with her and at some point Henny and I we also did a directed study with her just how to learning how what study directed study oh a direct study a directed study yes a directed study with her where we learn how to do like osteological measurements, sex and age estimations, um, and kind of just like how to lay out the yeah, skeleton, and which was really informative because later I'm gonna do that too yeah. in grad school, which I didn't know by then. And then one of the biggest help she did was for Henny and I to help grad school applications. Um, yes. Yes, she recommended all these schools, all the people. Um, she also recommended like Dr. Klaus as well. Yeah. And she just wrote like uh, an amazing reference letter for me and great. also looked through all my CV, resume, and yeah. personal stuff. So I'm really grateful for her. Yeah, she was super fun to talk to and definitely like had a lot of nice things to say about you. Oh. <laughs> In the episode we tried to I just cuz I wasn't I didn't want to make it like weird since I I didn't have your permission to talk about you so I was like, "Oh, someone we both know." Like anyway, <laughs> but if you like heard that yeah, that was Greta um that we were, that we were talking about. <laughs> I was trying to just be like a little sly about it cuz it was like I brought it up in the episode and then I was like, "Wait, I didn't ask her if I could like talk about this." So 
Um, yeah. So that's like fun little crossover. I always like to point out like crossovers that happen mm-hmm. on the podcast because it's just like fun. Cause we have some listeners that are like dedicated listeners that like have like listened to every episode and like, oh, that's nice. they appreciate yeah. those little, like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> do you remember on Disney channel when they would do like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> like Sweet Life of Zach and Cody and like Hannah Montana or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're, we're children of the 2000s people. Um, <laughs> So in 2022, you decided to attend George Mason University um, and you moved to Virginia. What was that transition like settling in? I know like you ended up living with some really great people. We currently live with one of the people from last year. Um, So yeah, what was just like that transition, like moving across the country again, (laughs) across not your native country, but uh, from basically coast to coast? I was really nervous, obviously, again, like leaving that known place but I was really excited because I it was four years in a small town so I feel like I did everything I could there and it was also a nice fresh start like I will I love track and it gave me so much opportunity to travel around the west coast but I was also a little burnt out so this was like a full clean page with like people and studying and everything and I immediately fell in love. Like I landed and everything was so green already. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh. wow, it was so nice. And then we had a really cute house in a nice neighborhood. And um, like you mentioned, my previous roommates, they were all so like including and they immediately like, they immediately took me out to DC. Like oh. the next day uh, we went out to National portrait gallery oh yeah it was really cool I still need to go there have DC close but we still also have like Fairfax which is a bit smaller and more like navigable and like cute and comfy and cozy you know and and it's not like a super big city like we have everything we need but it's not like a big exactly yeah if you want the big city you can just go and it's nearby but if you want to just like yeah have something chill then it's the perfect place to yeah like driving around Fairfax is pretty like easy and I mean you don't drive but like for me um it's it's pretty pretty cool and actually we should tell everyone we got our first snow <laughs> so Greta had to wake up at 5 a.m for work and we'll talk about we can talk about what you do for work but and I was just sleeping in because we had a party last night and I've been getting over a cold and um so I slept in I wake up at 9 30 I go on my phone like I do every morning because I sleep with my with blackout curtains so my curtains are always closed so that I don't because I don't like light to wake me up and I open Instagram and the first thing I see is your story and there's snow and I sprint out of bed I throw open the curtains and I'm like oh my god there's snow and I'm like Daisy get up there's snow anyway so that was that was our morning you got surprised at what was your reaction at 5 a.m. <laughs> First, I was like, uh, whoa. <laughs> I didn't expect it. I like had a glimpse, but I thought it was just like the reflection of like the wetness in the morning. Yeah. And then we left with our roommate and we we're like, what is going on? Like there was like a decent it amount was, of It wasn't snow. even just like a sprinkle. It was like actually covered. It was like yeah. melting by then. Yeah. But it was still like there. And when we were driving through the uh, roads, they were not salted. Some of them were still like ice is really going slow, but Mm. it was still like really present. Yeah, it was, we definitely got like, I would say we got like a solid inch. Like once it it was on the ground, it started melting, but they're like, even when I woke up at 9.30 AM, 
like uh, the car is always how I judge how much we've gotten. Like there was a good amount on my, on my car. Anyway. So that was super exciting because I think the listeners know, but like my dog is a snow dog. She loves the snow. She loves the cold. And I was so excited to take her out. And she's hilarious because she has to sniff every patch of snow. She's like, Oh my God, what is this? And then she like, literally, cause you know how she is. Like normally she just stays on the sidewalk. And then when she has to go to the bathroom, she goes on the grass. She had to walk on every patch of <laughs> snow. She loves it so much. And it's hilarious because she's this tiny little dog. Like you wouldn't expect her to like love snow the way she does, but as much as I love her, she doesn't get excited about very many things. So yes. seeing her excited, <laughs> she, she's just very mellow. So seeing her excited about something is always like very special. So yeah, that was a fun morning. So transitioning into graduate school, um, just like as a background for people, like we've had most of our classes together for the past three semesters. Mm-hmm. I think maybe like each semester we've had two classes together, I think. I would say yes. Maybe first semester. we. I think first semester we had all three together. And then the yes. past two semesters, we've had two classes together. So we've been on this journey together. We've had the same tests, the same essays. We've struggled through <laughs> Klaus's 20-page papers together, which is good because I feel like even though we went through the same thing, like we, everyone, you know, not just us, everyone in our cohort has kind of like learned different things about themselves, how they study best, what they're interested in learning. And so I did an episode a while ago, I think it was after my first year, kind of just talking about some of the things that I've like learned in grad school and giving advice to other people, like using Zotero, which is amazing. And also like for me, finding the time of day that was like best for me to study, which I realized is like in the morning um, and not at night. So I was just kind of curious if you had any advice that you want to share or even just more generally, like any lessons that you've learned that you think might be useful for someone who's listening, who is in grad school or might be applying to grad school. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, definitely finding your time of studying. For me, I was all over the place. Sometimes I studied like until 1 a.m. Yeah. Sometimes I was in the morning. So I'm still actually trying to find it, but that would definitely help and set a schedule for you also find a schedule that's some big thing yeah Uh, I mean if you have work that's going to give you some schedule but for me transitioning from having track practices Mm. like sometimes two times a day I had a set schedule but in grad school that was totally taken out and I had so much more free time and I wasted it because I didn't know how to deal with my scheduling yeah so find a schedule like have free time for you and take breaks because it's very much needed especially in the first semester. First semester was scary. It's so scary and it's yeah. so overwhelming. At least I was not prepared to read this much and to write this much. Yeah, before the writing. That, yeah, before that, my usual papers were like eight pages. Same. I had a 30-page paper, but there was a whole semester just dedicated for this one. It was like a senior research thing. So mm-hmm. not two times 20 for two other classes. So yeah. that was a different, different experience um so yeah give yourself a break don't compare yourself to others because I also did that my first year that yeah um which is really hard mm-hmm. when you have other people working in different like times and rhythms and everyone has their own like good traits like someone can write fast but someone might have better way of writing or someone's a uh, fast reader so just you know know your own qualities and work with that yeah 
because then also people have different commitments like exactly. some people have two jobs some people don't have any jobs some people yeah. live have, at home <laughs> yeah some people live at home some people have family obligations that are a form of a job some you know like it's just different for everyone and I think that was like interesting because last year we were both TAs mm-hmm. which was like a big part of our income and did you work last semester no okay. I just started this year. you just started this year yeah so I didn't have a second job until second semester and then I started doing child care um which was really big help and actually we're going to talk about later it was like one of my highlights of the year honestly was starting to get into child care um even though sometimes they get me sick <laughs> it's all right kids I know <laughs> it's not their fault um so yeah there's always like those factors and then just like I feel like for me one of the most drastic changes in grad school was like money management um because I had a and I always just like say this because I like transparency on the podcast so I had a full ride at UCSB I didn't ever have to pay I mean there was maybe a couple semesters where I had to pay like 50 or 100 dollars but because I was an in-state student and because I had x amount of grades in um high school I had a full ride to UCSB so I didn't have to pay tuition so my parents paid for my rent I paid for all my other expenses but I didn't have to pay my own rent until I went to grad school and so obviously like I mean clearly I think you guys would like realize that I'd be having like issues I always paid my rent but the idea of like every month being like okay there has to be this much left in your bank account like everything else aside that was a really big transition for me um because I'd been responsible for my utilities and for my groceries and like other and gas and stuff but that for me was like such a big transition in grad school and then we had our like fixed TA stipend that made it like even more challenging because for some reason for some cruel reason it's not a bi-weekly distribution it was this weird semi-monthly distribution so sometimes we would only get one paycheck a month which was like really like screwy and annoying do you remember that yeah especially when like uh shorter months or like yeah I came just the day after rent was mm-hmm. due or something weird yeah I- yeah and it's like little things like that that are like affect you so much more when you're on your own and paying exactly you know for your own bills um yeah so is that all that you wanted to say on that or? um also with reading <laughs> it might be controversial no, to say it's not but I know what you're gonna don't say. do all the <laughs> yeah have you have to pick your own battles yes. because it's overwhelming you have to learn how to scan what you need when you're writing if you just need a background just focus on the background part you don't need a whole 30 page paper for specific parts mm-hmm. and for that also Zotero is really good I love the highlighting colors that's my thing I that. know <laughs> yes so um also color code if that works for you but yes do not just read through all of them because yep. it's impossible or it's possible, but you're not going to have time for anything else and you're just going to overwhelm yourself. Yeah. So that's also a big thing too, just learning how to read like a grad student. <laughs> for sure. And and you were saying this is controversial, but I don't I don't think it is. This for- is to any professors that <laughs> to any professors that listen to. But like I'm gonna explain what what specifically we yeah. mean by that. Say you have a huge paper due that week, or you got sick, or you had something come up that took up some of your time, and you have six readings for a class that week. If you just pick, let's say, three of them, and you devote your attention to those three and reading those three entirely and understanding those three entirely, 
that is a win. That is a win. You did what you could. Like it's, I mean, yes, in an ideal world, you'd be able to read everything, but also, and professors, I don't even care what you think because I'm done with classes. Um, <laughs> they assign too much. Point blank period. They, do. they assign too much. So sometimes you have to make a decision so that your mental health or your physical health or whatever it is that's interfering, sometimes you just have to say, okay, I'm going to read half of them and I'm really going to engage with half of them, but like, I can't do all of them this week. Yeah. Sometimes like the quantity goes over the quality. Yeah. So you have to also pick for that. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I think these are like the main things and also it varies from grad school to grad school and what are you into but just yeah these are the big things that I recommend that reminds me to tell you my friend Griffin Fox who's doing his PhD the listeners know that's why I said his name he had to take five classes this semester that's like an undergrad oh my god I was like I don't know how you're alive and a TA I was like I I'm crying for you (laughs) oh my god Goodness. I know. He said that that's normal. And isn't that crazy? The reason why I might do my PhD in Europe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> reason why I'm not doing my PhD. <laughs> um, okay. So now we get to talk about the super, super, super fun part of your 2023 that I'm sure was probably the highlight of your year. Yes. <laughs> um, you got to travel to Peru with Dr. Klaus to collect data for your thesis. So before we dive into your experience in Peru, can you just kind of introduce your thesis topic and the project that you were there um, on a grant to work on? Yes. So um, my thesis is on paleodemography and female fertility um, from a colonial sites from Peru. And I also estimated their ages for the paleodemographic estimations I'm going to restart because it's complicated words that I cannot pronounce well. Okay. So my thesis is on paleodemography and fertility, specifically female fertility, to look at how um, colonial Peru was affected by Spanish colonization. And this is well reflected in fertility rates. And to get a good estimation and like data, I did a transition analysis three for age estimations in Peru and my age estimations also go into a bigger project which is the Lambayeque history biohistory project Lambayeque Valley biohistory project um and can you just briefly explain for someone who's never heard um transition analysis before why it is important to um to specifically use that form of age estimation Yes, so age estimations have been around for like over 100 years, but they've always been like inaccurate in a past, especially for paleodemography. They were just inaccurate at all. And they really like skewed all the results, um, mainly because they were underrepresented older individuals. A mm-hmm. lot of them could only go over like 45 or 50 years. Yeah, they would say like 45 plus, which yes. if you're talking about the population breakdown it's really not helpful but exactly 45 plus is so broad exactly so for demography it's really needed to see the younger the middle and the older population as well to you know see actually how long they live because that's also a big indicator of health mm-hmm. and um 
other things that came up, like how reliable the methods are. Also, a lot of um, parts of the skeleton that was looked at for uh, previous age estimations. There's only a couple. And what do you do if that part is missing or mm -hmm. fully destroyed or fractured? Yeah. So transition analysis 3.0. So the first one, um, so it was developed by Bolton and George Milner and some other colleagues in early 2000s. And they also use like um, statistical mathematics. So it's more like a probability. So we also like, it's not you calculate, there's a whole software, mm -hmm. but the third version, it includes almost every single bone in the skeleton. And there's like different traits that um, correlate with age or with like, as it says, the transitioning phases from the different age categories. And it is able to estimate up to like 90 and also gives you like standard deviations and um, like margin of error. Yeah, and like how accurate it is. So you actually have an idea of how accurate your age is, what you got. That's awesome. Cause then you can like, I would imagine you can pick the ones to include in your in your um analysis that are have more probability of the correct age yes yeah we're gonna like look at the standard errors we're probably gonna have like i don't know run 10 i would say that's like as the max because sometimes we just for fun put in if an individual just only had the cranial elements mm -hmm. and see if we still can get an age, we got an age, but it was like a 19 standard error. So mm. of course we're not going to include that, Yeah, but it is still shows that you can still get at least some glimpse of estimation, even with one or two scores from a skeletal part. Yeah. So that was like a really amazing project to be a part of because Dr. Klaus's Lumbayake biohistory, sorry, Lumbayake Valley biohistory project is, I mean, I want to say at this point it spanned 20 years um so 15? this project is 10 years but he's been working there for he's been working there for years. 20 years okay yes. yes so you know this is a really important thing to be a part of because it's so much more than just you know what you did exactly. while you were there and that's not to diminish like your contribution but just that it's part of a larger project um so the other person that was there was dr fabian crespo um and he's an osteoimmunologist or just an immunologist? So he is an immunologist, but now he's moving into, he's kind of like creating okay. also osteoimmunology. Before then, he was like, looked more like mammals and other immunological stuff. But um, him and Dr. Klaus been like started to get together. Like, I think that was like the past 10-ish years to mm -hmm. kind of develop this idea as well. Yeah. So let's talk about traveling to Peru. So exciting. Um, you can honestly, whatever you want to share, if you want to start with like getting there, if you want to start with being there and like the sightseeing, like however you, whatever story you want to tell. Okay. Um, I can kind of like go through like a chronology okay. and also like give a day in life of yeah. a Peruvian lab worker. Yeah. Um, Talk about Sikon, please. Yes. Oh my God. Just uh, Peru was amazing. Let's start with that. But so, um, I went home for like a month summer so I got back end of June and then literally two days later I was flying to Peru with my <laughs> classmates and with um, my professor and we made it to Lima we spent a day there uh, like half a day looked around it was Lima is huge mm. like I did not realize how big that city is and we were in a really nice area we could like walk around get some good uh, food and just glimpse of the city. And 
there's so many different forms of architecture too. Mm. I could ramble on that too. Um, but you could see like each different region of the uh, and districts of the city is also very different. Mm. Um, we also got to see the Pacific Ocean, which was really cool. nice. It was yeah. really pretty. Um, but nobody was really like swimming in there. Well, it was like nighttime as mm. well, but also uh, for them, it was like winter. Mm. And that side of um, the Pacific is kind of cold because of the current. Mm. So sadly, we didn't get to swim, but at least we got to see the Pacific multiple yeah. times. And then that uh, second night, we took a bus, an overnight bus. It was like 14 hours mm. up to Chiclayo, which is um, a bigger city in North Coast of Peru which is in like around the Lambayeque Valley. And there we got picked up by the people Higgin knows and we picked up some more equipments that he had and started to like settle in and go to our house, which was so surprising because I just noticed that we were driving through these sugarcane fields, which sugarcane is a really big uh, agricultural production there. And our little house or like hacienda was in the middle of a sugarcane plantation in a tiny tiny town which was literally just a square um but the locals were so sweet um they always like said hi and they were like hanging around like they were always outside playing football there was like dogs around so it was like a nice vibe overall our house was really pretty we even had a pool so I don't know how even Hagen was so surprised like he never seen this <laughs> nice location because he usually goes with like less people so they mm. do stay in the museum sometimes like with um mariah mariah he, they only stayed in the museum mm -hmm. and he was also for two weeks but we were there for six weeks um and then once we like settled in we went that weekend see Athen and morope which are the two colonial sites that my project is on and they also like the main area that Higgins been working on yeah if you've ever read read something by Dr. Higgins yes. Klaus he probably has mentioned Morope yes so we looked at the sites which was really interesting to see what I'm going to work on and where like the remains came from mm -hmm. and also in Morope people are still living there and mm. even Higgins was mentioning that you can still see how like distinct they are um they still really resemble that uh Muchik ethnicity mm, which yeah. we talk about a lot and he also talks about a lot in a lot of his work but to put it in context to what you learned so far and now see yeah. it in that was so interesting same for like Athene people don't really live there because it's been kind of moved around they, people live around it but it's just um kind of like a desert-ish area mm. near the uh sea or the ocean but it was also really cool when he explained what the excavations were and give a lot of background. And then for that first week, we were like started to jump in once we moved out all the remains from the storehouse. So our museum was uh, the Sikan National Museum in Ferenyafe, which is really close to our little um, housing. So it's like the New York City. And we set our lab station in there. And everyone was like so helpful. There were some people like working on like the cultural side, like mm. working with ceramics and they all like helped us moving in our uh, own equipment and then moving all the um, human remains in from the, their storage. So first we started with like the Athen individuals because they were housed in the Sikan Museum. Oh, okay. um, so quickly our daily life looked like 
waking up around like 6, 6.30. And then we had breakfast all together. It was like a nice group breakfast. We was like hanged out depending when, who went, woke up, um, prepared our lunch. And then we got there probably leaving around like 8-ish. So we got to like 8.30 to the museum and then we were working until like lunchtime when we had a little walk over at the, um, the bodega, which is like a small store run by a sweet lady <laughs> where we usually bought her like sodas or mm. chips or um, any other snacks we liked. Yeah. And then we walked back to the museum, had a little lunch, and then we continued on to like 5 p.m. And then we picked up our lunch, which was made by um another different sweet lady who Higgins known their family for like the past 20 years so she's been cooking for like archaeologist yeah since um Dr. Shimada yeah he's working there I think he talked about that on his episode oh he's like my... we always have the best cooks oh like... my god well he did not lie he yeah. hyped it up and he lived up to the hype good so having like a warm meal after the whole like, mm. night and it was always like something authentic Peruvian and we could also like kind of order like once we know what she makes and what oh, we like yeah. the best it was like okay can we get that one can we yeah. get this one and we always had um fresh juices with it too oh, so, so good yeah it was really nice because um we still had to like really pay attention to what we eat and like how, how we consume water because that's like the easiest way to get sick and all those travelers things it can do yeah. your body even though with the vaccines mm-hmm. but um Hagen trusted her cooking and everyone's been like fine so she cooked amazingly yeah um so this was like a usual life yeah a quick life <laughs> but you forgot my favorite part your little friends in the museum oh my god yes yeah, so Peru has so many dogs everywhere a little sad there's a lot of stray dogs but they also have museum dogs. Every single museum I worked at had museum dogs. <laughs> and they're so cute. I will be posting pictures of them. Yes. Yeah, so um, at the Sika Museum, we had three Peruvian hairless dogs. <laughs> and they were the cutest. And one of them had that um, little tongue out of, from his mouth mm-hmm. constantly poor dog couldn't put it back and he had a tiny tiny hair on the top of his head and his name is Sikan and even though he's the smallest he dominated over the other two (laughs) dogs so cute um but they were all super cute they could like they were allowed to just hang around the museum sometimes they came by our lap station hanged around sometimes they had their own little like Peruvian ponchos on yeah. oh my god do you have I don't think I've seen a picture I think of I that. have one of them was wearing yes oh so cute so they were really sweet and then of course we also got like a tour in the museum which was also designed by one of the part was designed by Dr. Shimada oh. so it was it was really cool to see um and everyone in the museum was just so sweet and helpful always said hi asked around us so honestly one of the best people I've met was in Peru. Like they were so including and nice and also look out for us because we are so obviously not from the region. Yeah. Me being a head taller than almost every single person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But they were really sweet. What was your favorite dish or dishes if you can't like narrow it down to one that you've had? Um, ají de gallina. Is that, what we, is that what we had at? No. Oh. 
that's a different one. I forgot the name. It's a complicated name. Okay. So what Gabby means, it's the one with eggs and potatoes. And it's kind of like also like a little cheesy ahi-ish sauce. But ahi de gallina is with pulled chicken. Mm. And it's also in that sauce. So ahi is the national pepper. Got it. It's with, um, and it's kind of mixed with like cheese-ish, but it doesn't really taste like cheese. Yeah. And it's really like creamy. And you usually have it over um, rice and have some olives. And probably that's one of my favorites, but ceviche is also mm. was really good ceviche. Mm-hmm. so good and the favorite drink was probably chicha chicha yes but i had my first empanadas at hagen's favorite oh, steak place oh really and it was really good they yeah. do eat a lot of steak so i had a lot of steak there too and they were also really yum so yeah their dishes are really good and spice in a good way it doesn't mm-hmm. burn your mouth but it has really a lot of flavors and ahi was one of our favorite condiments to put in sandwich we kept putting into every single thing we could find <laughs> that's nice um so while you were there you also got to do some sightseeing yes um which i'm i'm really glad i mean like it sounds like i i wouldn't assume that hagen would do this but like he doesn't need to take you guys sightseeing but like knowing him I'm, I'm not surprised I guess is what I'm saying but I just I love that he like makes that a big part of it because it is so special and like if you're there like it's not like you're gonna go to Peru all the time and yeah. so the fact that you get to do some fun things as well as like the actual work that you're like funded to be there for I'm really glad that you got to do that so if you could just tell us about some of the highlights of course there is just so much to talk about um yeah Higgin that's how I best describe it. It's kind of like um, an excited person to like show you their toys or their interests. Like yes. he was beaming for the six weeks and it was so nice to see him outside of like this because, yeah. you know, in school, everyone just like drained and dead. Yep. And then we finally made it to Peru and he was like, oh my God, let me show you guys all of this. <laughs> so like I said, on the first weekend, we went to Latin and Morope. The other weekends, we always went on the weekends because we we're working during the week. Um, we went to the Pomac forest, which is near um, Ferranafe. This is where it's one of like a really unique national parks and they have a specific type of tree that I cannot pronounce, but it's like really local mm. and it's like the biggest vegetation there. And it was so cool also because it just rained not long ago before we came to Peru. So they had those um, vines everywhere. Mm. So all the forests were just covered with vines. And it was really, even Hagen was surprised because he hadn't seen the forest like that. It's yeah. really changing. But the cool thing of Pomac is that it housed the um, capital of the Middle Sikan and the Sikan culture. So we got to see all the wakas that are still standing because a lot of them got washed away. Um, yeah with the El Nino and just like the river because the river is also crossing that we are supposed to cross the river also by foot but it was oh. really high so we can oh. I was so excited to cross it by foot I was like this is the real adventure <laughs> yeah I was even like I can't carry you Jordan like <laughs> I don't care let's cross the river that's our classmate <laughs> but it was really like um high so yeah. um one of the museum workers uh like who worked at the museum he's also like he takes care of the forest and he knows the forest like his hand and Hagen also like worked with him as the excavation. So that guy, he was like, knows all the area. Yeah. Inside and outside. So he was our tour. And he said, tour no, guide. Tour guide. So he was like, no, I was like, okay, I trust you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we got to see 
Wakaloro, one of the places where the West Three Men in Sioux was uh, discovered by uh, Shimada. And we know more about like the Sikan Lords. Um, sadly, all those areas were like highly looted because, you know, sadly it's really hard to stop those, especially in Peru. A lot um, of looting happens there. It's really sad. Still to see those big monumental sites and you know they were like sacred and ceremonial and served such a big part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And there was like so many around. You can just turn around and you could see a waka somewhere in the forest. Yeah. Um, so we also climbed some of them, went to uh, Wakas La Ventanas, which was really cool. We could actually climb up on top, so you could like look even down, yeah. and you could see all the different like stages. And we saw a bunch of vultures, which are my favorites. <laughs> um, there were so many vultures around. We also saw Matrix 101, which if people not familiar, that's a huge sacrificial site oh, okay. of the at middle mochi. Then it's like between the oh, vacas. It's like at that site between Vaca de Loro and Vacas Las Ventanas. Okay. Um, so Hagen also showed us like where exactly the exca excavation was. So yeah. we could like stand on it and be like, it is crazy. Yeah. Because I we learned a lot in our um sacrifice class. Yes. And I also had to write like response papers and I was like, oh yeah. my god, I'm standing at the sites that I've been learning for the past year. Mm -hmm. So that was amazing. And we went there two times because one of our um, uh, project and classmates, she came later. So she all got to see it. Oh, Elise. Well. Yes. Yeah. So we went back like one of the last things. Um, we also went to uh, Tukume, which is a huge uh, site for middle, uh, late Sikan, but also Chimu and also Inca. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge complex. We hiked there, which <laughs> some people died, but I enjoyed hiking. Yeah. Um, that was also Divi division one track athlete yeah. <laughs> just shines through oh yeah by the way guys I live with three former division one athletes so collecting us like <laughs> no it's it, I yes but it's also just funny because you guys will talk about like the workouts you do and I'm like I would literally die like er Erica ran a half marathon like not that long ago and I'm like I can never like conceive running a half marathon yeah, running is not my strength too yeah. but she was crazy with that but yeah so thank god my um track background yeah. gives me some uh advantages for archaeology and for climbing yeah um especially like we are laughing that that peak we climbed or like that waka which was also on the side of a mountain was called el purgatorio so purgatory yep so what it translates yep. to oh my god so we are like laughing that like oh we're yeah. gonna climb that and some of us like actually dying but it yeah. was really cool because you could see the whole side and there's like a lot a lot of like buildings and it's really like monumental site yeah um we also went to um oh my god i forgot the site name but where the sipan lord was discovered oh yeah um it was also really cool sadly the waka was closed we could mm. only like walk by but we got to go to the site museum see some of like the remains and some of the uh, artifacts that were excavated yes um but so i've been chuckling because i would like you to tell everyone how hagen would act oh, at the museums oh my god because <laughs> it's just so adorable and it's so hagen yes. like so one of my favorite sites we went later there but um i'll get more into detail with that but also hagen was just always 
going into detail every single time he even told us like the date when the excavation was and when we had tour guides he had to correct the tour guides <laughs> or if the tour guide didn't cover all of them because of course why would they know <laughs> but yeah. he excavated there he added a lot of stuff he was really respectful yeah but he could barely contain himself like constantly saying it and also because he worked on almost every single museum or site that we went to yeah. he always introduced himself as hi i'm dr hagen klaus i'm an archaeologist and i work there can i get him free <laughs> and most of the time he got him free yeah. or even he got us in free but sometimes people were like what are you who are you like and he said names they're like they are not working here anymore <laughs> so it was really funny to like um him always coming up with like oh do you know who I am he's like I'm a celebrity I've been working here for 20 years I don't know what you're talking about yes oh my god so when we we wanted to go to the format forest first it was they said I was like no it's closed we're not allowed and then they were like talking and we had our tour guide and Hagen was like talking to the um guard and then the guard was like well if you call like the head and he was like oh I'm on his phone with him here you go and the guard was like oh who are you <laughs> and of course he knows them because he like worked with all those people and like the yeah. museum director he's also like so it was really funny that yeah honestly he could get into us every time everything it's just like he's like this little it's like a niche celebrity <laughs> and he's um hi i'm dr hagen klaus i excavated here why aren't you talking about this this and that it's exactly. just so cute and like again like we're saying we're saying this all with the utmost like love for yes. him it's just we love to see him like that because he's such a like we call him like a dad like he just the way he acts oh, is so like he and um fabian they were peak dad mode yeah it was really funny but also it was really nice yeah um yeah especially when he was like talking um about his favorite places and where he actually excavated like um talking about the sikan sites or the mocha sites which i'll get into later um he was just beaming yeah I think the moche sites are my favorite and they were really cool so but it's probably just because like I know the most about them yes yeah they are just extraordinary like all of their work yeah. I also really like this account but yes so we we worked at three museums in total at the National Sikhan Museum and then we also worked at the Royal Tombs of uh, Sipan okay which if anyone ever is around in Lambayaque, that's where the city, go there because it is, it's just amazing. Like all the finds from that, they even like the National Geographic covered that. Um, there were so many golden artifacts found in such a good quality. Yeah. It's just mind blowing. Yeah, that's like where the Lord of Sipan was. Yes. Yeah. And if people aren't familiar, the Lord of Sipan is referred to that way and the way we talk about it with such respect is because it's one of the most like ornately decorated burials ever found because and I always just kind of like to break this stuff down for some of the listeners that aren't yeah. super like archaeology buffs but people kind of sometimes assume that like every time you're excavating a burial there's gold and like all this ornamental jewelry and stuff and that's really not the case so when there are burials like that that are found with such precious metals and such ornately decorated th items like they become legend in archaeology because they're so unique and it's not something that you could excavate all the time or see the artifacts from from the burial especially not in that good quality and not yes. looted <laughs> not 
yes that's also yes. a big a big reason is because of because of looting that even if there were a lot more burials with that stuff it's not always preserved because people steal it which is sad it is but yeah that side there's also like i think 15 other tombs so it did give like a really good glimpse into the late mocha mm-hmm. um, also like structure and hierarchy and mm-hmm. like burial practices and just the artifacts in general and we worked like a museum like a little side museum there mm-hmm. there were um other half of the um ethan people so that was also nice like just a couple of days but it was a nice uh, change of scenery too but it was always really cool uh, working behind such a big and it's a really well-known museum too yeah um but my favorite place to work was at the Chotuna Chornan Camp site museum, which is a late Sikan and Chimu and Inca site. Um, so we are working literally almost at the foot of Ewaka. So cool. So yeah, we just went out to like have lunch and you could see. Yeah, and we just walked up. Wow. So it was it was really cool. We also had some hairless dogs, some <laughs> dogs and cats around. And um, I got to uh look at the remains of a priestess so cool which was really cool it was like in situ oh. so we couldn't like move a lot but it was like really sad it was so sad because a lot of the elites from that side were destroyed because of the water table was so high mm, yeah um but it was still like really really cool to look at yeah and i guess we should mention too that why um there is so much water damage is because a lot of these wakas are built out of adobe bricks, yes. which are more susceptible to water damage than like other building materials that you may think of like from other parts of the world. Exactly, yes. It also depends how they were built. Like the Sikan built them very quicker mm. than the Moche. They used more like filling also mm. in the middle. So a lot of them, like once the outer layer got washed out, all the filling comes out. So oh, yeah. as an archaeologist, for example, in the U.S., if you come by ceramics, you're like, lose your mind. Yeah. Here at the sites, they used it as filling. So yeah. There was a bunch of pottery and ceramics and all yeah. these like special cool things that you go crazy. They are just, they were just used as filling and you just leave it because I can't, it's part of the waka. Yeah. So yes, um, but the moche, that's why they also like stand higher. Um, but yeah, so we also like worked there more on like some of the... Um, later Chimuaninka individuals for age estimation which was also really cool to see and the people were really nice there and also like having cats come and buy mm-hmm. it was yeah. like so open it was like a really nice open lab yeah and there we saw also um a small car that literally looks like it's from Indiana Jones <laughs> it's 50 years old and its name is Kukaracha which is cockroach because it's bright orange that's hilarious <laughs> I sent you a photo of that. So we also got to see, it's a famous archaeology uh, car that okay. it's some, I don't know why, but yeah. everyone just like, oh, the Kukarach, and they just know what okay. they talk about. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I got to sit in it. So it's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. A ni- another niche like thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, the archaeologists know there. Um, so yeah, that was like the third museum. And then when we finished our work again in uh, the Sikan Museum where the other like Morope and some, I also worked on some Waka Silupe people who are also from the Sikan. So got to see some over a thousand years individuals, which was really yeah. special. So I did see some really uh, interesting sites and 
putting that into context with the people I worked on and estimating their ages, knowing where they came from and all yeah. the background, it was really, really special. Yeah. Um, you're working on writing the chapter three of your thesis right now. And you mentioned actually the other day in the car, you were like, I feel like everyone should get the opportunity to visit where they're writing about because it just makes it like that much more special. And I thought that it was, is, yeah. it, it makes you care even more. Like, yeah, of course you care because work on um, these issues or whichever interest might be in anthropology, but I feel like that's how probably cultural anthropologists also feel when they work with a culture. Yeah. But now, so as we got to visit, it's a little different because most of the people we work with are dead or yeah. lost. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just kind of keeps me fueling, fueled through and powering through my thesis writing, which I have to write yeah. so much, but it keeps me going. I also yeah. bought a replica pottery from the Moche. Yes. At Waka de la Luna, which was my favorite. Uh, the murals there are still oh, so intact. Yeah. And that's where Hagen kept correcting the tour guide. But even the tour guide was looking at him in awe. Yeah. Because when he kept talking about, we also had a British couple in oh. our group. Um, he tried to talk the people out there, like, we don't need a tour guide. Like, we know everything. Mm-hmm. And Trooper was like, it's like, no, like, you need a tour guide yeah. at the museum. They're like, okay. He was like, fine. It's probably also to make sure people don't like mess with things. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's like a bigger site is like a specific way to walk around mm, to look at yeah. each mural and like each side. Um, the murals are huge. They are huge. I did not realize how well intact and how mm. big they are. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was beaming and it was so nice. Like Hagen was so happy that I was so into it yeah. too. And um, they also had really nice artists besides that uh side so that's where we got a replica that's where Hagen had all all of his oh okay ceramics most of his ceramic stuff too because he knows it's like quality and even the guy was like oh Hagen hi (laughs) yeah so actually that reminds me so he invited us over to his house for Thanksgiving because um those of us like me Greta Henny and uh, another student um just didn't travel home for the holiday and so he was kind enough to invite us over to his house and so he showed us his home office with like all of his stuff from Peru so many like cool things that he's brought back over the years books pottery artwork like such beautiful artwork these big paintings oh so cool so like that was fun for me to to get a glimpse into that because obviously you saw it all in Peru but it was fun for me to like see his collection that he's brought yes. home. It makes sense why he has it now. Like he has stuff in his office too. And I always, yeah, I always admired it. For sure. But his office, his home office is it's yes. a different, like. It is a different level. But now I started my little Peru corner as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so that was also really cool. Just like seeing, you know, like local artist. Yeah. And this way like supported. But he was like so sweet. Like everyone was like so nice. Yeah. Um, and the last side. So. Waka de la Luna and Waka del Sol, that's like one of, used to be one of the big mocha centers in mm-hmm. the Southern Moche. Um, and they're so well intact. Like in Waka del Sol, you can still see the bricks. Wow, the adobe bricks. Yes. Wow. Like it is gigantic. Um, and it's also more like in South. So like we were going, we went there a little bit before we were traveling back to Lima. So it was like on our way back. And it's near like Trujillo and Huanchaco. Okay. It's, near beach so we also stayed in the beach town again yes. but we didn't get to swim again but it was really pretty um and another big side there is chan chan yes. which is the chimu capital yes um which felt like another world again they had like over 10 foot walls 
around. Wow. Um, and some of the places there also so well preserved. Like some of the walls are actually in their original shape. So they cool. still like reinforce them so they don't like get washed away. Mm-hmm. But the size and everything, they had like huge storage units, like with specific uh, patterns and everything. And it's you could walk around and it was just amazing. Is that the one you have the picture like from up above? And it's like there's like the little like it's all. I, it looks like a maze um or is that no attention it did look it did have like a little bit maze feel yeah so yeah like you have a picture from up above before you walked down I'm done it's okay but yeah no I I can show you a photo later yeah yeah actually this this is a good opportunity to say like this is definitely an episode where you want to check out social media the Instagram at that answer podcast after because we're going to be posting like a lot of the photos (laughs) that she's willing to share um so that was also just incredible like also knowing that like this was the Chimu Empire capital. Yeah. Um, and those like big walls. I even I felt so tiny there. And I was like, wow. Yeah. It was just so, so, so different from what we've seen before. Because it's such a different culture. And even within this almost the same area. Yeah. They just created something so different. What's the time period of the Chimu? Just to give people some context. Um, I think the Chimu, they were like really prominent um, from like, 110 1100 and to like end of the 14th century okay but like they took over um north coast in like the 1300 so i would say like maybe like the 12 to the 14 okay 100 yeah i would say it's hard because i didn't i don't exactly know when they fully developed but yeah. they like became more prominent in the uh, north coast and then the Inca took over there, even Chan Chan. They, he then told us a story how an Inca diplomat came and told them to like, hey, we have a huge empire, but you know, you guys willing to surrender, you can still keep your position and everything, but you're going to be under our jurisdiction. You still have to provide stuff. And they were like, no, no. And then they came back again. I was like, are you sure? And they were still like, we don't want to surrender. So then the Inca took them by force. Yeah. And then they came up to the North Coast, but that's another story. Mm-hmm. I'm just writing about the Inca Empire right now for my thesis. So that's yeah. why. But overall, it was just all those sites. Um, I wish I could have got to see more of the middle and south Peru to see like Nazca and more like into the Inca. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I already had seen so much. So maybe another time. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. So thank you for sharing all of, of that. That's so fun. And I like, it was interesting. Cause like, obviously I hadn't seen you in months and like the first day you came back, we just sat on the couch and like went through all the photos and it was so great. Cause I mean, honestly, like that's the, that's a dream. That's something that was just as cool to me, like getting to hear about. And so it's fun to hear m- more about it. And thank you for sharing that with the listeners. Of course. So I'm not even going to ask you what your highlight of the year was. Cause it was that, it right? Was. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that's fine. I because this is supposed to be kind of like a 2023 recap episode. So I'll share like my highlight of the year. And it's just like it's so puny in comparison to her like extraordinary trip to Peru, but like, you know, whatever. Um, I wanted this to like, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit on this episode too, because I haven't like talked to the listeners in a while. Yeah. So um I for me in 2023, I started going on care.com and because I needed extra work. 
And I am like really, truly one of my highlights of the year was getting to know some of the families that I worked for. Like, obviously I'm not going to give any descriptive details, but there are three families that are like very close to my heart and they each have two kids um, and just families that I've really not like gotten to be a part of, but just like gotten to know so well. And these like watch these kids now grow up over almost a whole year. I've been babysitting for some of these families. And so for example, there's like a preteen who was 11 when I met her and now she's 12. And just like the difference I've seen in her, you know, now she comes to me and she tells me about like the boys at her school. She tells me about like what she wants for Christmas. And it's all the stuff that we used to ask for for Christmas when we were 12, like Uggs and Lululemon (laughs) leggings and like designer necklaces, you know? And then, you know, also like, I got to see like a baby grow up from like, 18 months to now he's like two now and so that was really special for me because I also didn't grow up having siblings so I think that's part of it too is like getting to watch these kids like grow up was really really special and then the other highlight of my year um and I kind of touched on it in like one of my other episodes was I so I purchased a car when I got to Virginia and from the moment that I had that car his name was William he was a troublemaker trouble, trouble, trouble. So many thousands of dollars poured into that car. And in October, the second week of October, William took his final breath. And on my way to babysit, he decided he did not want to run anymore, like at all. Like it was very scary and very bad. And had I not been like literally two blocks away from this family's house, like I would have had to stop on like the side of the road and got a tow truck. But because I knew the area so well, I was like, well, even if I get stopped in the middle of the road here, it's like a residential neighborhood and it would be fine. So um, that happened. And while that wasn't the highlight of my year, I think ultimately the fact that it caused me to have to get a new car um, was ultimately the best thing that could have happened because we just kept pouring so much money into this other car. And it was just like, it was like every four months I'd like call my parents and be like, this is broken. Now we got to do this. And So my parents decided to help me with the down payment on a brand new car. And then I'm taking over the monthly payments, um, which I, because I didn't want to just like get a new car from them. You know, I wanted to have financial responsibility for it because obviously like I was planning to get a new car to replace William after graduation. So the fact that this happened like probably eight months before we were planning, I didn't, I wanted to still have financial responsibility because I was originally planning in August of 2024 to buy myself with my own money, like fully buy myself a car. So now I have a very great car. I finally have an SUV again, which is so great. It's a small SUV, but it's still an SUV. And the amount of like stress that's been taken off my shoulders, like just being able to get in that car every day. And, you know, cause I drive you a lot and not having to worry about it breaking down, not having to worry about it overheating. Cause that's what it used to do. I used to have to, f- I'm not going to curse. I used to have to sit in that car in 90 degree weather and warm it up for five minutes. Why? Because he was a problem child. Like, so I feel like for me, my two highlights of the year really were continuing to get to babysit for some really, really, really lovely families spend, you know, some of them, like I was like basically nannying for, um, the amount of time that I would spend with them per week. And that was really special. It's just really special to watch kids come into their own and they're just so creative and like seeing them experience life and like learn new things. And like some of them, like the sick at age six, they start to experiment with humor 
So they'll <laughs> tell you these jokes that like aren't really funny, but you can like see where they're going. So you like laugh and just so cute. So that was really special. And then now that I have my new car, her name is Ellie. So great to have that and just be like one less thing to worry about. And just know that for the next probably like eight years, like I have a good solid car that has a warranty that I don't have to worry about. Like if something does happen, Hyundai has to pay for it, not me. (laughs) So that's really just like, because you know, like we're going to be going on the job market soon and there's going to be a lot of financial insecurity. And so the idea that my car is like good, it's one less financial burden to like, I mean, obviously still have the monthly payments, but any like large repairs are covered by my warranty, which is currently December 11th. What are you looking forward to in 2024? Well, um, I'm looking forward to graduate, but also I'm not sure <laughs> if I actually want to graduate. It's um, going to be a change, definitely moving away from like school that we, that's all we know our whole lives. Like, you know, yep. since like daycare and kindergarten, like you always go to some institution and uh-huh. you do something, but now like, you know, the world is going to be there. So I have to yeah. find a job but it's also exciting kind of like again a new page yeah um and be able to do what we've been learned so hard you know like and worked so hard and learned so much for um so hopefully we're all gonna end up in a good place yeah um and I'm also hoping that I'm got to go back to Peru there's a slight chance because our project is still unfinished so there's still a chance that we get to go back to Peru because there are still some unfinished um, part of the project. Still a lot of like groups that can be yeah. aged. Um, Does it really just depend on grants? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, he can start to reach out. So hopefully um, he'll get back to it um, because it would be lovely. And also I would love to see all the people I worked with because yes, they've been just the sweetest. Yeah. Um, what I'm looking forward to in 2024 is obviously graduation. Um, but before that, like before I go into like the full-time job market, um, I had been working at a small museum in a town about 30 minutes away from us, um, from August to November. It was, I was working for the Reston Museum and I was giving walking tours about the history of the town. And that was really, really fun. I, I loved, it was my first time, like really getting to work for a museum. Um, I loved just like getting to tell the people about anthropology and what I do. And then obviously the things that I was like actually paid to tell them about, <laughs> but it was always fun. Cause I would always throw a little anthro knowledge in there. You know, it was like, I'd introduce them to a couple things. So that was really exciting, but it was always a contract position. So now that that contract is up, I'm going to be applying to other museums. So I'm going to be applying to Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's house. And I was talking to Brie last night and she's like, you're going to get hired. It's fine. Cause our friend Brie works there. Um, and then I'm going to be applying to Gunston Hall, which is George Mason's house. And then a couple other museums in the area. So I'm really looking forward to that chapter in my life. Um, cause again, I love childcare. Like I've really, truly, it has made me a better person. It just made me a more patient person. Um, but you know, as, as much as I enjoy that and I'll still do like date night babysitting. Um, now that classes are over, I'm going to have the opportunity to work more like probably like 20 to 25 hours a week. Um, which is going to be good for my savings account because it's taken a, it's been a tough year for my savings account. Um, so 
that I'm really looking forward to that in 2024. Um, and then ultimately, hopefully that those experiences will lead me into a full-time museum position. Um, but something else that I'm looking forward to in 2024 is meeting your parents who are coming <laughs> for graduation and you convinced me to walk graduation. So now my mom is coming for graduation. Yay. So my mom is excited to meet you and Erica and your parents. And I think that that'll just be like a really fun thing. And um, also, I just want to say that just like in general, I'm so thankful like that we live in this house and that like I have you and Erica as amazing roommates. And it's just been like so nice. And you guys and your friend group, because their friend group um, includes a lot of the people that they lived with last year um, who are George Mason alum alumni have just like all been so sweet. And I just feel really like it's really nice to have like a really great living experience and, you know, just like hanging out in the living room and watching vampire diaries and, <laughs> and just all of our silliness. Like it's been, I'm really thankful for that. And I'm looking forward to, you know, our leases until when July. So yeah. got another like six months of this it's very I'm nice. happy to hear that yeah. I also had a great experience so far so yeah, yeah. cheers to another half a year we're living together I know yeah it's been it's been good thank you for joining me today yeah, well thank you for asking me to talk about my experience and you know I love sharing my experience in Peru and you know just what I've been doing yeah. and anthropology so more people can hear it and yeah you know, learn from it or just enjoy me rambling about my nerdiness. <laughs> well, we're I'm definitely affected by Hagen's influence. So. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And my dog has now gotten up off the couch and I think she's ready to go for uh, W-A-L-K. She's hopped down and she's like, all right, guys, you're done talking. Let's wrap it up. Daisy has actually been present for every podcast interview I've ever recorded, except for the ones I've recorded on campus. Oh, so. So all but four. And I think I've published around 80. Wow. So she sat next she's, to me for all she's of She's the star of the podcast. She is. All right, everyone. Have a great rest of your day. If you're listening to this, I really appreciate you. And yeah, signing off.